thankful for the opportunity to be here this morning. Been looking forward to it when Brother Ronnie called and asked me would I be willing to come and f fill in and just in, in case the, the, the shot that he took, the vaccine that he took, um, would not allow him to be here and we were more than happy to, to oblige him in that and have the opportunity and we hoped and we're thankful that we've had the opportunity to be with him and uh, spend some time with him and uh, had a good time at Lawyer Springs with Brother Ronnie and the church members there and some of the church members that were that were here that showed up and we're thankful for that, thankful for the blessings of God and uh, just ask that you continue to pray for me. This is a new day and um, I need I need uh, I need the blessings of the Lord and I need your prayers this morning. So I trust that you've come praying and uh, we know we're reminded that his, his blessings, his mercies are new every day. And we certainly need those blessings and those mercies this morning as we try to make an attempt to stand before you. It is a, got here early this morning um, and uh, had time to go and walk through the cemetery and you know that's a good place to meditate it's quiet out there <laughs> uh, not much going on and it's just a good place to meditate and and to think about God's word and and uh, what all God has done for us and and we've gathered some thoughts and we just trust that they'd be of the Lord I'd like to this morning what time we have before us if it be the Lord's will is to try to speak on a word finished as it is shown in the Bible. Finished. I'm thankful for the song that somebody mentioned this morning of it is finished. So we've got a lot to rejoice in in the word finished. And there are places in the Bible that remind us of things that are finished. And you know... When we use the word finished in our, in our everyday language, it doesn't always mean that we're completely finished. A lot of times when we say we're finished, it could just mean just for now. You know, I've, grass is starting to grow back home, and I mowed it last week and came in and told my wife that I'm finished mowing the yard. But I wasn't finished for good. I was just finished for now. I've got to go back next week, and I'll have to mow again. My daughter in school studying, and she'll say that she's finished with her homework. Well, she's not finished for good. She's just finished for now. A lot of times I've eaten supper, and I say, I'm finished. I've, I've finished my plate. But you know, that plate will be full again tomorrow. So a lot of times when we use the word finish, it's not talking about to, uh, to finalize. But when the Lord talks about finished, he does. When the Lord talks about things that are finished, he means it's complete. And a lot of times we in this world have a confusion of understanding what God means when he says he's finished. And so we want to try to look at some things this morning, Lord being our guide, on some things that are finished found in God's word. The first place we'd like to talk, uh, turn to is to Genesis in chapter 2. It says in Genesis chapter 2, well the verse before that in the 31st verse of the first chapter, 
It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. Not only the heavens and the earth, but all the hosts of them. When he says that those things, when he says the heaven and the earth were finished, it means it was completed. He didn't mean that it was just finished for a time being and that there would be this process of uh, Darwinism, that there would be this process of evolution that would continue to, to uh, go throughout lives. No, I want to tell you, he, he made everything in the first six days and saw that it was good and very good. He completed the work and man, uh, uh, you know, this world is not continuing to evolve. <laughs> Man's mind is continuing to evolve, unfortunately, in sin, but not God's work. He tells us that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. So we can go out and we can see the beautiful handiwork of God. You know, I'm thankful that God didn't just leave this world to be flat and desolate. But it pleased God to, to show his beauty in the flowers. It pleased God to show his beauties in the, in the waterfalls and in the mountains where I'm from. It pleased God to give us the beauty of this world that we might glorify him and know that he has created all things. You know, I, I, when you see the majesty of this world and the, and the beauty of, of, the, of the firmament of this earth, you can't help but glorify God. You can't help but understand that there is a God. That there is a God in heaven and he finished the earth and he completed everything in six days. And when I say six days, I'm talking about six days. I'm talking about six 24-hour periods. He'd say the evening and the morning were the first day. The evening and the morning were the second day. We're not talking about 6,000 years. I want to tell you, for the Lord that wanted to, he could have, he could have uh, uh, created everything in six nanoseconds. But he did that for us, that he might give us a day of rest. And aren't you thankful that Adam was the last of his creation? <laughs> not the first, but the last. If Adam would have been anywhere but the last, man would be taking credit for helping God create the world. <laughs> but no, he created Adam last. So, and, and Adam's first day was what? A day of labor? No, it was a day of rest. Because Jesus Christ, because God had already created everything. And everything was complete. I read from a scientist that is a creationist a few years back, and he was refuting the the uh, the terrible doctrine of evolution, and that it is a religion. It's not a it's not a science. It's a religion. Uh, evolution is, and he was refuting that, and and he brought up a a statement that I thought was was uh, really telling to me. He said the uh, the probability of us being where we are. And everything being where it's at today through the process of evolution is like a tornado ripping through a junkyard and fully assembling a 747 ready to go. He said that's, that's, the, that's the odds of, of evolution. You know, when we look at evolution, it's talking about a lesser creature evolving into a greater creature. You know, we see that in spiritual evolution, do we not? 
In spiritual evolution, we see that uh, we that people feel to be a lesser creature, but they can of themselves evolve into a greater creature. I'm here to tell you what, dear child of God, not only is natural evolution a farce, but so is it spiritual evolution. It's the Lord that came to us, the lesser creature. It's the Lord that came to us in our, in our, in our state of darkness when we we're away from God. And it is God that came to us and shined the light into our heart and gave us, a, gave us a cause to rejoice in Him and to thank Him, gave us a cause to pray to Him, gave us a cause, dear child of God, to go on our knees and be convicted when we do wrong. You didn't evolve yourself from a lesser creature to a greater. It's God that brought you to that place, and it is God that will keep you in that place. It's God that will keep you there. So we're thankful this morning to know that evolution is a farce. Evolution, that God created the heavens and the earth and he finished them. He finished them. They, they are done, Brother Roddy. There's no more work that needs to be done. Furthermore, when we look at some other things about things that are finished, let us go quickly uh, to 1 Kings. 1 Kings in chapter 6. I want to look at something else. That the Bible talks about that is finished. We've looked at creation. And I trust that we understand that God is the creator of all things. I'm talking about as far as the natural creation of man and all things therein. In this earth. But we see here in the building of Solomon's temple. It says in the 6th chapter of 1 Kings in the 14th verse. So Solomon built the house and finished it. Solomon built the house and finished it. You know, this is a great type. Solomon's uh, temple here is a great type of the Lord's church. And when the Lord built the church, he finished it. The Lord did the work full and complete. The Lord doesn't need man to do any part of what he has finished. What we need to do is just be thankful with what God has finished. And what we need to do is come into his house and rejoice in what he has done. Amen. You remember when Solomon's temple was being built, we see a great type of the church. That they were going out into the tall cedars of Lebanon. And they were cutting down those large trees. And it was out there in the forest that they were hewing on those trees. And then they'd float them down by the ocean. They'd float them down by the ocean. And when they came in there to be put together in Solomon's temple, it says just a few verses before this that there was not the sound of an axe or a hammer or any kind of instruments built in the house. You know why? Because it all fit just perfectly. It was all worked on out there. And you know for the child of God, uh, before he comes into the church, sometimes he feels to be like the tall cedars of Lebanon. Sometimes he feels to be boastful and prideful in himself. But I want to tell you, it's then that God can begin to bring you down. Down to the dust of the earth. And it's then that the gospel will begin to hew on you. It's when you hear the gospel, the gospel will begin to hew on you. And, and to fashion you into a fit subject ready for the master's work. It's then that we are floated down. I believe that's a great type of the watery baptism. We're floated down by the water. And it's then that the child of God is just a perfect fit 
for the Lord's temple. It's then that the child of God is a perfect fit for God's house. You know, I've seen some that took a lot of finagling and a lot of, a lot of extra work when they got in. Have you? I've seen some. But I tell you what, I appreciate the ones that when they came in, they were a perfect fit. They were perfect. They were just what the church needed. And the church was just what they needed. They were looking for something. And, and, and so we see that when, when that house is built, that the Lord finishes the house. He said, he's told to Simon Peter in, in Matthew chapter 16. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. You see, this is the Lord's church. This is the Lord's church. I will build my church. And that rock wasn't the Apostle Peter. It was upon the testimony of what the Apostle Peter said. Speaking of Jesus Christ being the Son of God. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's the Lord's house. He built the house. He says in Zechariah in chapter 6, he says, even he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord. And he shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule upon his throne. Where is his throne? It's in, it is in his temple. He sits upon his throne in the church, dear child of God. It is him that we come to see. We're not bringing the Lord with us when we come to church. We're coming to see the Lord. Because it is his house. It is where he dwells. Over in Psalms, uh, I just got a thought over in Psalms uh, 132. He says in verse 13, For the Lord hath chosen Zion. Who? The Lord. The Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. He goes on, This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Who's the poor? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the poor child of God that can come into the Lord's house, into his house, the house that he has built, the house that he inhabits, the house where he dwells, and it is in his house that we can come and we can be fed the manna of God. He goes, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation. And listen to this. And her saints shall shout aloud for joy. I want to tell you what it causes me to do when I come into the Lord's house. And I know that I'm coming into the presence of God. And I'm coming in poor in spirit looking to Him. And I hear the gospel proclaimed from on high. It causes me to want to shout. You know, I've seen a lot of people shouting at, 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 at games, at, at sporting events. But I tell you what, I wish they, some people get just a little bit of that excitement in the Lord's house. That we shout and praise God for what He has done for us. And that we're coming into His house. What did He say over in Luke? Luke chapter 22 and verse 12. The Lord told the disciples... He says, I'm going to send you to a man bearing a pitcher of water. And he said, he shall show you an upper room furnished. 
furnished. That room is already furnished. He said, there, make ready. Make ready. You see, there's something we got to do when we go on further in this sixth chapter of Zechariah. He says, even the Lord, even he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule upon his throne and shall be a priest upon his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. It goes on to say in that 15th verse, and they that are far off, who's they that are afar off? I believe that's talking about the Gentiles. And they that are far off shall come and build in the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent him unto you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Build in the temple. Now the Lord built the house. The Lord finished the house. There's nothing for us to add to it. But we're called to build in it. We're called to come together in the assembly of God's house. We're called to come together in prayer. We're called to come together in singing. We're called to come together in preaching. We're called to come together in communion. We're called to come together in feet washing. But I want to tell you what, there's nothing else that's needed for the house of God. It's fully furnished. He's got it all. We don't need auxiliaries. auxiliaries. We, we don't need pianos. We're, we're to sing with our voices. Be not drunk on wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit, singing to yourselves in psalms and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. He says in Colossians, singing with grace in your heart. We ought to be singing with grace in our heart when we come together and we sing, dear child of God, it ought to be to praise the Lord, to give uh, praise unto Him. Prayer, he says, my house shall not be called, my house is called the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. It's in the Lord's house that we come together and we pray to God uh, and that, we're, that we're praying for one another, that we're praying for those uh, that were mentioned, that Brother Ronnie mentioned, that we bring those prayers to the Lord and that he takes them before God as incense, that, that it's a sweet-smelling perfume that our prayers rise up to the Lord. Then we look to him. And then the preaching of the Lord. The preaching of, of God's word. He says over here in, in Ephesians. And he, in Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. For the perfecting of the saints. What for? Now, they, now we're, we're, we're talking about pastors and teachers. These others have come and gone. He gave some pastors and teachers. And I want to tell you, pastors and teachers are one and the same. There's not a pastor and then a teacher. A pastor is a teacher. And this teacher that is talking about here is a pastor. He's a pastor and teacher. And what is the purpose? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Who's the body of Christ? It's that church. For the edifying. That's what we're working in the house. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we see that when the Lord built the house, 
When the Lord built the church, he finished the church. We don't need to add these things. We don't need to add Sunday school. We don't need to add all these other things that, that man likes to create for the church. I want to tell you, if, if, it's, if it's something you want to add, I want you to first show me where it's at in the Bible. If it's something other than what we've already talked about. You show me where it's at in the Bible. Well, it, it, it's not necessarily in the Bible. We've just been doing it for so long. And it's really been a good thing. No, I can tell you what right now. The Lord has told us what we're, how we're to worship Him. The Lord has given us all that we need to worship Him, to, to, to fellowship with one another. The Lord has given us all that we need to commune with God. And I want to tell you what, I'm not here, and I pray that I never am. I'm not here to try to change the church one iota. I like it just the way it is. I'm thankful for just the way it is, and, I'm, and I don't want to see the church change. Do you? I don't want to see the church change. I want it to be right grounded and, and settled in the truth. And I want that church to be a light in the, in the community, a pillar in the community. And I want that church to be a church that comes together praising God. I want it to be a church that comes together lifting up their hands of prayers to the Lord. Listening to the sound preaching of God's word and, and praying to God. That's what church is to me. And I believe that's what God intended church to be, Brother Ronnie. I believe God intended that to be that way. So we're thankful that God, when he did that, aren't you glad that he didn't just uh, leave it up to us to, to, uh, to finish the church? <laughs> Boy, that would have been a mess. That would have been a mess. Uh, but God finished the church. And all, we, all we're called to do is to come in as baptized believers and to work in that house, to work together in that house. God's finished creation. God finished the church. I want to talk about one more thing before we close that God has finished. Over in Ruth, chapter 3, in the last verse. We see here a story of Ruth. And the kinsman redeemer, Ruth and Naomi, sitting back while Boaz is going because going to the gates because there is a nearer kinsman that could redeem her. Listen, and so Ruth doesn't know what's going to happen. Ruth doesn't know Boaz is gone. And you know, Ruth is just thinking, "Am I going to? Is it going to be that nearer kinsman?" That's going to redeem me or is it going to be Boaz? She wanted Boaz. <laughs> Boaz loved her. Boaz was taking care of her. And listen to what he says. Listen to what Naomi tells her. Now you can picture this your own way in the house there and perhaps where they're at. And she says, then she said, sit still, my daughter. Now this is Naomi talking to Ruth. Sit still. You know, I can just imagine Ruth walking back and forth, just wrenching her knuckles and just wondering how it was going to happen, just worried to death. And, and Naomi says one thing, sit still, just be patient. Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. 
He will not be in rest. You know, when our Lord and Savior came to this earth, He didn't come here to rest. He came here to finish something. He came here to finish it. The Bible says the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay His head. He said in another place, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened until it be accomplished? You see, He came here for a purpose, Jesus Christ. He didn't come up here to set up some kind of literal kingdom. He came up here to do His Father's will. And we read over here in the book of John in the 19th chapter of John in the 30th verse. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He came here not to rest, but he came here to accomplish something. And it says, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Notice this order. He didn't give up the ghost and then bow his head. That would be the normal order. To give up the ghost and bow your head. He said he bowed his head and then gave up the ghost. No man taketh my life from me. I have power to, to lay it down and I've got power to raise it up again, the Bible says. Speaking of Jesus Christ. But we see here when the Lord says that it is finished, the, that word means completely finished. It means there is nothing left. No, dear sinner friend, there's not one something left for you to have to accomplish in order to go to heaven. That's good news for you this morning. There's not anything that you have to do, dear child of God, and I want to tell you what, you don't have to worry about it. You can rest your case in the finished work of Jesus Christ. When he said it is finished, he was talking about redemption. He was talking about reconciliation. He was talking about the atonement on the cross. And when he died there on the cross at Calvary, he did the Father's will. My meat is to do the will of the Father and to finish the work. My, weed, my meat is to do the will of the Father and to finish the work. He finished the work full and complete. He didn't leave anything for you to do. He didn't leave anything for me to do. He didn't leave anything for your pastor to do. He, well, you know what we're called to do? Just proclaim atop Zion that he has finished the work. Amen. And we can rejoice in that. We can rejoice that it is finished and we can find a rest in that. There, therefore, there remaineth a rest. There's a rest that we can enter into in this life in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I've known people and talked with people that go down the altar time and time again, that have went down time and time again, and, and, and uh, just beat themselves up. And, and I've told them, but I'd love for them to just hear with the heart that you can stop doing that because Jesus Christ has already done the work. Jesus Christ has finished the work on Calvary's cross. He brought all of God's people to, he brought all of God's people to God. And so we see, he says, Lo, I come to do thy will. I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do thy will. Well, let's go to the ninth verse of this tenth chapter of Hebrew. Then he said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. We are we're set apart by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
It was one sacrifice, and it was for all. Finish the work. For by one, and, and he says, and by, by the which will we are, uh, by the which will we are sancti- sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, offering, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. You know, all those sacrifices that they did under the Old Testament didn't take away any sins. All those sacrifices under the Old Testament were all pointing pointing towards Christ, the antitype. They were pointing to Jesus Christ, the one who would ultimately come and pay the price on Calvary's cross. All of those things, all the sacrifices that they did under the Old Testament were just reminders to them of their need of the ultimate sacrifice was a reminder to them and it brought to memory their sins year after year after year. But today, dear child of God, in the light of the gospel, we can rejoice in a risen Savior that paid for our, paid for our sins full and complete on Calvary's cross. Well, how do you know the work was complete? Well, I'll tell you how I know the work was complete because three days and three nights later he arose from the grave. When he arose from the grave, dear child of God, that, that stated, that showed forth the, the, a satisfied God. And Jesus Christ, taking the merits of, those, of, of that blood into heaven, died in our room and our state and was satisfied with that offering. And I'm thankful to God for that. He goes on, and, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. What does that sitting down mean? That sitting down means he's finished. He's finished. Those those priests in the Old Testament never sat down. They kept standing. There was no no chair in the most holy. There was no chair in, in the holy place. There was no place for them to sit down. But Jesus Christ sits down in his temple. He sits down in his house because the work is done. And we, dear child of God, because of that, we can rest in that and glorify the Lord and the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstools. For by one offering... Listen to this, this perfect offering, the perfect Lamb of God, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Who are those that are sanctified? Those that he sanctified by his bloodshed on Calvary's cross. And so we can rejoice in that this morning. And the Apostle Paul, finally, we want to we just very briefly very briefly look at one more place. We talked about creation. He finished creation. He finished the church. And he finished salvation. And we can rejoice in that. The Apostle Paul says in the fourth chapter of Second Timothy, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. There's a day coming, dear child of God, when we will finish our course. 
There's a day coming, dear child of God, if the Lord doesn't come first, that we'll, let, that we'll breathe our last. You know, when he says, I finished the course, that course is talking about a career. I finished my career. What is your career? I tell you what our career ought to be is a surveyor, <laughs> surveying the wondrous cross, Amen. looking to the Lord, looking to him and trusting in him. When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gains I count but loss and pour content on all my pride. That ought to be our career. And I want to tell you, there's a day, there's a day coming when that day will be when that'll be finished, and we'll go home to be with the Lord. But we'll go home to be with the Lord because He first finished the work. I appreciate you for a good attention and the time that's been provided me. Very thankful for the preaching effort this morning. Um, as Brother Kerry was was speaking this morning, there was a there's a verse of scripture that uh, that came to my mind and it's found in First Thessalonians chapter five and it's verse twenty one. If you notice in this letter, the Apostle Paul would write to the people of Thessalonica. He ends up with a little short sayings, you know, things he could say with just a few words. And he said in verse twenty one. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. The word prove here literally means to test, put it to the test. I was uh, speaking to my, my children this week, and uh, we were watching TV, and we just, just turned it off, which that's a good thing, turn off the TV sometimes. And I told Joshua, I said, you know, it's, we've, we've got to a time in, in this world where if it if we see it on TV, then it's got to be true, right? We saw it on TV. That's got to be true. You know, there's a lot of people in the world see things on TV. That, that's got to be. That's got to be true. I saw it on TV, or I saw that on the front page of a newspaper. That's that's got to be true. I saw it on the front page of a magazine. It, it books a million. That's that's got to be true. And nobody will put it to the test. With, with facts, what is what is true. I had a person I was, I was talking to uh, several months ago, and this is when we had some of the civil unrest here in the United States of America, and there was, there was a lot that was going on in, in the state of Oregon at that time. Now, I've been out west. I have actually saw the Pacific Ocean. I, I, I actually spent some time about 50 miles west of Seattle, Washington, when the Lord blessed Jennifer and I to get a little girl. Her name's Sarah Beth. She's here this morning. And I know there's a lot of good people out there. And uh, when I was out there, I went into a barber shop to get a haircut. And I told the guy, I said, I'm not from around here. And he, he heard my voice. He said, no kidding. <laughs> a lot of good folks out there. But they, they were going through some civil unrest. And I actually communicated with a person and he was like, oh, you know, this you're hearing, it's just not, it's not true. It's really not that bad. There's not much going on out here. I thought, well, maybe, maybe this, maybe that's true. Maybe there's just not much going on out there. Maybe there's not much civil unrest there in Portland, Oregon. I actually had a very close friend of mine 
His brother-in-law and family had to leave the city because it was so dangerous and he didn't, they didn't feel like it was safe to raise their children. So I knew what that person was telling me was not true because I got first-hand witness, fact, of what was going on. So what I did, I took the information, what's true, and I tested what another person was saying and found it to not be true. He was, he was misinformed. The Apostle Paul is saying here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21, whatever we hear, whatever we see, put it to a test to see if it is true. Prove all things, hold fast that which is true. Now when we hear a man in the pulpit, and a man says things in the pulpit, that's got to be true, right? He was a preacher that said it. A preacher said it, it's got to be true. Hey, he, he had a Bible in front of him. That had to be true. Not so. Men make errors all the time. Keep in mind, I'm, I'm a man. My hope is that I'm a man that belongs to the Lord and God has called me. Called me to preach. And the church here called me as pastor. But even I can make mistakes. So God has given us something. Every child of God is able to put their hands on it. And I'm glad we're living in a nation where you can put your hands on this. It's called the Bible. Brother Kerry mentioned the Bible. This is how we, we test. Test it. Test it to see if it's true. Well, Brother Kerry preached this, this morning what he said. Is it true? I can tell you I've read in the Bible. It's true. I believe what the man preached this morning because it's what the Bible teaches to be true. Now, I don't believe it just because he said it. I love Brother Kerry. Brother Kerry is like my brother. He came up under my daddy in the ministry. And sometimes I hear him preach. I could hear Marvin Loudermilk coming out in Brother Kerry. And even though my daddy's gone home to be with the Lord, it's like when I'm around Brother Kerry, I'm, I'm getting to spend a little extra time with daddy. That's how much he reminds me of him. But I don't believe it just because he said it. I believe it because it's what the Bible says to be true. Now, Brother Kerry mentioned eternal salvation, our eternal salvation. What eternal salvation is, is when the child of God is saved from the wrath of eternal fire to be in heaven. That's eternal salvation. Now, we know the Bible teaches temporal deliverances for the children of God. God has saved me many times in my life. I mean, a few weeks ago, I was on my bicycle, and there was a chicken truck come by me and blew feathers all over me, and I thought, well, that's a lot of feathers on me. Well, it could have been the truck all over me. It's probably the Lord saved me that day from the truck, and, and it wasn't that close, so I don't even want to get nervous. <laughs> but he blew feathers all over me. That was one day I got feathered, okay? I was sweating, and all the feathers stuck to me. The Lord saves me. God has saved me many times in my life, but in eternal salvation, eternal salvation, God saving us from eternal judgment to heaven above. What, what is the truth? Turn with me to Romans chapter 3 real quick. Paul gives us from verse 27 through 31 a way to test the truth. Is what we're hearing in the pulpit about eternal salvation the truth? There's a lot of people teaching a lot of different things about eternal salvation that's not true. What is the truth? Verse 27, Paul asked a question after he's taught eternal salvation. He said, where is boasting then? If we're teaching the truth about eternal salvation, there should be no room for man's boasting. None whatsoever. There shouldn't be room for me to step up and say, I've done this, I've done this, and you know what? You should do this. 
This is how I've saved myself from an eternal wrath to have a home in heaven. No, if we're teaching the truth about eternal salvation, the only one we should be boasting in is God. God. David said, I will boast in the Lord all the day long. It's the Lord that saved me by His grace. And I'm happy I can look in my life and see some evidence of that. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, faith, meekness, and temperance against which there is no law. Those are the fruit of the Spirit, not the root of the Spirit. The reason you can see love in your life, peace in your life, Joy in your life, long-suffering in your life, those are the fruit of the Spirit. It's because God is in you. If you love God, you only love Him because He first loved you and He is in you. And it's evidence that you are alive in Him. Where's the boasting in that? It's boasting in God. Verse 29 and 30. Romans chapter 3. He said, Is He the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision, that's the Jews, by faith, and that's by his faithfulness, the reciprocal trustworthiness of the Godhead, and the uncircumcision through his faithfulness. By faithfulness, through faithfulness. What he's saying is whatever we teach about eternal salvation it must have everyone saved the same way, Jews and Gentiles alike. Anyone that's in heaven has got to be in heaven for the same reason. Whatever we teach about eternal salvation, for me, it's got to be the same for that infant that dies in the womb. And I believe every infant that dies in the womb is going to be in heaven one day, not because they did anything good, but because of God's eternal grace. I believe that. And I'll stand for that truth until my last breath. John the Baptist was a born-again child of God when he was six months old. And by the way, that teaches us that life begins at conception. He was six months old in his mother's womb. He leaped for joy at the salutation of Mary. He was a born-again child of God. I've done just as much to be a born-again child of God as John the Baptist did in his mother's womb. We'll all be in heaven the same way by God's eternal grace and Jesus Christ suffering our wrath that we rightly deserve on that, on that cross. Verse 31. Here's the third test. Do we make void the law through faith by teaching this faithfulness of God? Whatever we teach about eternal salvation, it should uphold the law, not sweep the law under the rug. We've got many judges here in America today. Guilty people could stand before them and they could be bribed. So they'll sweep it under a rug. Oh, we can let this slide for you know, a little bit on the side. God's not like that. God is just and God is holy. God is not going to sweep our crimes under a rug to take us into heaven. Mm -mm. The law of God was upheld in the person of His Son on the cross of Calvary. Every sin you've committed against God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul confirms that in verse 23 of this chapter. All of those sins were not swept under a rug, but placed on Jesus Christ on the cross. And praise God, he paid for them all. God's law is upheld and he has mercy for us all at the same time. The Bible said in Psalms 85 and verse 10, In Jesus Christ, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. So whatever we teach about eternal salvation, prove it. Prove it. Put it to the test. Should be no boasting on our part. Should have everyone in heaven the same way. 
and it should be no setting aside of God's law should be upholding, upholding God's law. What about the resurrection? How can we test the resurrection? Was this resurrection of Jesus Christ, is it true? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said, let's put it to the test. Put it to the test. Is what I'm preaching true about the resurrection that Jesus Christ lives? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the first eight verses basically goes into a court of law and defends his case. Now, if you've got a witness in a court of law, there's three ways you test that witness to know if he's telling the truth. What three ways are this? If he tells the same story every time, if what he's saying is consistent with a known standard, and if what he's saying is consistent with other witnesses that saw the same event. Bam! That's how you test a witness. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. What he's saying is I'm not saying anything different than what I've said before. He's saying it the same way every time. If a person's lying and you question them, and they're lying, you question them again just a little later, you'll catch them in that lie. You just got to keep questioning them. I remember my daddy, my daddy, I tell you what, he, he'd catch me telling a story. I remember my daddy had a friend of his that was a preacher, and he was bragging about his boys one day. He said, you know, Marvin, he said, boy, I got some good boys. He said, my boys, they're good, honest boys. They always tell the truth. Daddy, of course, he goes, Pfft. he said, man, he said, I don't think you know your boys because I know my boys. He said, my boys lie, steal, and cheat anything they can do to get out of trouble. Yeah, Daddy just put us to the test and questioned us over and over. It, it would finally come out. I'd probably like, no, I didn't do it, Dad. I did it. David did it. <laughs> Apostle Paul said, I've told it the same every time. But the Apostle Paul said, what I'm saying is also in alignment with a known standard of fact. Verse 3, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Paul says not only is what I'm saying the same as I've said before. It's also consistent with a known standard. He goes on to say and that he was seen of Cephas. Then of the twelve. Then of five hundred brethren at once. I mean can you just see the apostle Paul preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And a little brother in the back saying I know he's telling the truth. I saw him. I saw him alive. Paul said what I'm saying I'm not the only one that said this truth. You know, when you think about this, it should give us assurance that Jesus, Jesus is alive. You know, there's three reasons people will tell a lie. One is for a worldly advantage. One is for a carnal promotion. And the third is for self-preservation. You know, people lie to get a worldly advantage. What worldly advantage did they get here telling about the resurrection? Didn't get one. Sometimes a carnal promotion. You know, to promote themselves. Make people think there's something they're not. What carnal promotion did they get telling them about the resurrection? Self-preservation. People tell a lie to defend themselves, to prevent themselves from being injured. These men were beaten, whipped, left outside of cities for dead. These men are not lying. These men are telling the truth, and we can test it. We can test it and see that they're telling the truth. Now, we've tested the truth about eternal salvation. we tested the truth about the resurrection. What about the promise of the Lord coming back and getting us one day? Y'all love to preach about Jesus coming back and getting me. This world, is, uh, as the preacher used to say in South Georgia, has kind of lost its shine to me. 
I'm not as excited about it. Amen. Somebody's blowing their horn. This world's lost a lot of shine for me. You know, David, he said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. He said that in his haste. He got frustrated dealing with Saul. I know every man in the world's not a liar, but the world's got a lot of liars. I get tired of it. How do I know the Lord's going to come back and get me? The Apostle Paul in Hebrews chapter 6 said the Lord was immutable. What that means is he cannot lie. And since the Lord cannot lie, I can trust his word. Jesus told me he was going to come back and get me. And if God cannot lie, and he told me this, he's going to come back and get me one day. And he said in John 14 verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. What does he say in there? Heaven's a big place. It's a big place. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare, meaning I go to provide. And he provided that place for us in his death on the cross. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare this place for you, I will come again unto you and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Bam! Jesus said it. He can't lie. He told me he's going to come back and get me. And not only that, I have men that are faithful men. When you have somebody that cannot lie tell you the truth, you have faithful men that confirm this truth. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, confirmed unto us by them that heard him. The apostle Paul told us he's coming back to get us. Peter told us he's coming back to get us. The apostle John said he's coming back to get us. And by this truth, I know and I've proved it. He's going to come back and get me one day. And I'm looking forward to that day. But until that day, I want to be found in his house, serving his people in spirit and in truth and standing for the Bible and what the Bible teaches. And may God richly bless you to do the same. If there's anyone here today that